Breast thermography has an average sensitivity and specificity of 90%. And this one really got me. An abnormal thermogram is 10 times more significant as a future risk indicator for breast cancer than first order family history of the disease. Welcome to The Clinical Entrepreneur, a business podcast that's dedicated to healthcare practitioners just like you who are hustling every day to build a business and a life you're proud of. Join me, Rhonda Nelson, as I share my own experiences and extract actionable advice from industry experts about what it takes to build and scale a profitable wellness practice. Welcome to the podcast. I have a super special guest for you today. I want you to listen to somebody that's very near and dear to my heart. She's actually my number two daughter, but as you'll hear in the interview, she thinks she's number one, but we'll leave that conversation for another day. We are going to be talking about mammography and thermography. And my daughter, Ashley, runs a wellness clinic in Northern California. She's been on the podcast before, and she is a licensed thermography tech. So she works with women all the time doing breast and other you know, body areas using thermography. And so she was the perfect person to come on and talk to us about why we may want to consider thermography, which for those of you, you already know this, but we are going to get into also why the pushback from the medical side against thermography in lieu of mammography. So we're going to talk about some of the risks of mammography, and then we are going to really lean into thermography. And as you'll hear, there were some surprising little nuggets that came out of this conversation. So without further ado, here's my interview with my daughter, Ashley Houchin. Well, hi, Ashley. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. We've chatted before, but I'm super glad that you're here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So for all of you that don't know, or maybe you missed our prior interview, Ashley is actually my number two child. And so I'm just super proud of her. For those of you that are watching, you saw the little finger she put up. It was not the middle finger. It was the number one (laughs) finger, which means She's competing with her sister, older sister. So, okay, Ash, you can be number one for today. That's fine. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, we are going to talk today about mammography and thermography as it relates to having and offering this in your practice or recommending it for your patients. So just so you know, Ashley runs a wellness clinic in Northern California just for women, and she also is certified to do thermography. So she does a lot of thermography, which means she sees a lot of breast images and she's got some experience that I think you're going to really want to know about. But before Ashley dives in, I just want to give you a few tidbits of info that you may or may not know about mammography. So we know that mammography is big business. Like There's no question about that. It is big business. These machines are expensive. The campaigns around breast screening, cancer screening, all of that are big, big, big in the revenue generating department of, you know, modern medicine, so to speak. So it is the gold standard. You know, women are going to go to get their mammography, get their mammogram done every year, every year. But we know that when you compress that breast tissue, you are putting the breast tissue under high amounts of stress, and then they radiate the crap out of it with these x-rays. 
And what happens is we end up with high numbers of misdiagnoses. Ashley, in your clinic, how many women would you say that you've seen or you would estimate would come to you and they have had a maybe a misdiagnosis, whether it's a past misdiagnosis or even a current one? What would you say that percentage is? What do you think? For me, probably one in five. Maybe, one in five. That I've seen. Yeah. And a lot of the women that I see, honestly, aren't doing much mammography or ultrasound. So I see, you know, less than probably there are. Okay. But they've had a misdiagnosis at some point in the past. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So then how does that affect them? Like, what's the conversation that you hear from them? Because you're dealing with breast health, right? Mm -hmm. What is that conversation? How is that for them when they've been misdiagnosed? What kinds of conversations do you have? Well, it's honestly, a lot of trauma for them, a lot of fear because they've been diagnosed once, even though they turned out to be a misdiagnosis, but now it's kind of like in their head, they're thinking about it. Yeah. And yeah, they're, they're traumatized to be quite like honest and it's sad and awful yeah. to, to watch. The Greek word, and I didn't know this, but the Greek word for trauma refers to the creation of a physical wound. I did not know that. So when we have a trauma on an emotional level, it's akin to having a physical wound where there's actually mm -hmm. a wound. It's a, it's a wound of the soul, right? Mm -hmm. Well, there was a study that I found, and I'm going to read this. It said women that had were misdiagnosed had significant mental, physical, and emotional consequences even six mm -hmm. months after they were cleared of that diagnosis. And there were 12 things that this study listed. One, here they are, a sense of dejection, anxiety, negative impact on behavior, negative impact on sleep, a degree of accelerated breast self-examination, like, oh my gosh, what am that I missing? All the time. All the time, exactly, mm -hmm. which is going to irritate the breast tissue. Yep. Negative impact on sexuality, negative feelings of attractiveness, inability to keep their mind off of things. In other words, they're worrying about it. Mm -hmm. Worries about breast cancer, of course, lack of sense of inner calm, change in their social network and existential values began to shift because of mortality. You know, you start thinking about, well, what if I get breast cancer? What if I die? And who's mm -hmm. going to take care of my kids? And what about my will? And what about my husband? And will he remarry? And, you know, you can see that that just that spiral effect. And it's all because it's this big business that yeah. we're subjecting these women to these mammograms and they don't need that. They recently said that after 10 years of mammography screening, the risk of false positives is up to 63%. That's just heartbreaking, just heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. So millions of women get misdiagnosed every year. So these false positives, then they have to go in for more radiographic imaging, ultrasounds, doctor's appointment, maybe, you know, invasive needle biopsies, and then you're waiting for the results. And then there's anxiety there. And that yeah. doesn't even include the number of people that have been, we'll say, misdiagnosed from the biopsy. You know, yeah. where misdiagnosis can happen just because of a bad mammography where they're saying, oh, there's something there when there isn't anything. But also just even misdiagnosed with just basic what they would want to treat with chemotherapy that doesn't even need to be treated. And it can like DCIS, right? It can mm -hmm. go away all on its own. So yep. when you approach someone who comes to you, you're seeing someone in your clinic, how do you start the conversation about 
the risks or dangers of mammography and what the alternative is with thermography because thermography is kind of the big, bad, dirty word. You know, medicine's going to say, oh, you know, it doesn't mean anything and it's not reliable and it's not yep. accurate and you need to have a mammography. Well, of course they will because that's their big business. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. how do you bridge that conversation with them? Well, how do you start that? Well, it's tricky because since I do thermography, there's a lot of things I'm not allowed to legally say to people. Okay, but on this podcast, we can say them all. <laughs> okay. I can't say that it's a replacement for mammography. And quite frankly, there is an error rate with thermography. I'm going to be transparent. There's about 10% error rate because 10% of all cancers don't carry a thermal signal. So if you don't have a thermal signal picking up, you know, there's nothing for the camera to see okay, if there's no yeah. signal. That's good to know. On the other hand, ultrasound is also a great option for people if they want to have a structural screening because thermography is looking at the physiology. And I explain this to people all the time. Thermography is looking at physiological happenings of the breast. Yeah. Where's the blood flow? What's happening? How is it moving? Is it in a funny spot? Is it asymmetrical across the breast? Do we have estrogen issues in the breast tissue? So it's looking at what's the body doing, whereas mammography and ultrasound are going to look for structure. They're looking for like an item in the breast. A mass. And a mass. Substance. If a woman has like fibrocystic tissue, there's going to be tons of little cysts in her breasts and mammograms and ultrasound can't actually see through that. There's a 60 to 80% error rate when you have thick, dense tissue. So for mammography I, or thermography? For mammography and ultrasound. Mammography so, and ultrasound. Okay. If you have thick, yeah. dense, fibrocystic breasts and for, you know, practitioners, you need to be asking that question of yeah. your female patients. You know, what is the texture of the breast tissue? Are they soft and malleable or are they thick and fibrous? Yeah. And now, thankfully, even with mammography, which no one really loves mammography here, let's be real, but yeah. they are telling women there's an, a high error rate when you have dense tissue. It's now legally required for them to disclose how dense a woman's breasts are and they'll give them a rating. So if they have a really dense breast tissue and completely ineffective for them up to, you know, a certain degree. Oh, sorry. Back to your original question. <laughs> I always no, tell, this is all tell good. you go. Take your rabbit trails. We're good. I always say it's really good to have more than one option. Like personally, I get thermograms. And then if I need an additional screening option, I'll opt for an ultrasound because the radiation isn't happening. The boob squish isn't happening. It's a lot more comfortable. I don't know if you've ever had an ultrasound, but it's much better than a mammogram. And then you get to see both sides. You get to see the physiological side and you get to see the structural side and they don't cross over each other. Like they are looking at such different things. It's like compares apples to oranges. Yeah, yeah. And how you're looking at the breast. So yeah. I always tell people, I always recommend they have more than one screening option. For me and most of the people that I see, they just aren't interested in mammograms because of the radiation, because of the squish, the risk of bursting a capsule damaging a lymph node. There's just too many you know, risks. Yeah. Besides the risk, I mean, obviously there's the inherent risk of the radiation, right? The increased damage, frank yeah. damage to the cells of the breast tissue because we've compressed them, put them under stress, and now we're going to radiate the heck out of them. So yeah. you mentioned like, you know, lymphatic damage, bursting a capsule. What else do you know that could happen as a result of a traditional mammogram? Well, those two things, plus, like you said, the radiation, those are the biggest things that we see. And I 
can't tell you how many times I see people that are like, I've been getting mammograms for 10 years and they finally found something. I'm like, well, yeah, you've accorded your breasts to death and squished them and probably burst something. Like that's a lot of pressure squeezing those breasts. Yeah. And especially if the breasts are smaller, it could be so damaging, especially to the lymph vessels and the lymph nodes because there's nowhere to go if they have small breasts. Right, right. I had one thermogram probably in my 30s, and it was so painful. It was really, really uncomfortable. I did not like it. I thought, I'm never doing this again. And so I didn't. And then I found thermography and have been doing that for quite some time. And then you became thermography tech. And so now, obviously, I have thermograms done. But let's talk a little bit about ultrasound. So are you talking about a straight ultrasound, or is there a certain type of ultrasound that pairs well with a thermogram, providing that the woman doesn't have fibrous breast tissue? Just a 3D ultrasound, just the handheld thing. It's yeah. a big machine that goes right over the top of your breast and it kind of rolls over it. And you can image one or both breasts. Depends on the doctor that you're seeing, what they'll want to do. Some doctors will even do an ultrasound without a referral. I know we have one here in town that he'll, you can just make an appointment for an ultrasound. No questions asked. They'll give you one. The chances of insurance covering it are slim to none because yeah. they want to see a mammogram before they'll do an ultrasound. Right, right. Uh, so clients just have to know that they'll have to pay for it. But yeah, it's a good option. So like, if you do a thermogram on someone, how often do you refer them out for an additional 3D ultrasound? As a tech, I don't do any kind of like assessment of the images myself. So I'll usually go with whatever the doctor says. So I'll do the images. I send the images off. The doctor that I send them to writes up a report, sends it back to me. And then as soon as I get it back, I'll send it to the patient. And within the report, he'll usually say, I recommend you follow up with your doctor for additional screening, or you need to go right away to get another type of screening, or just come back and get a thermogram in a year because everything looks great. So So it just depends on him. Okay, so explain for someone who doesn't know, I think everybody probably knows, but just as a baseline, like what exactly is thermography looking at and what do you see when you do a thermographic scan? We obviously know that it's picking up heat, right? Mm -hmm. Heat that comes off, but we think how can a camera detect heat? So can you Mm -hmm. kind of walk us through the process and what it looks like when you see a thermogram, what it's picking up? Okay, so the thermal camera, the one that I have is a medical thermal imaging camera. There's a lot of different thermal imaging cameras you can get. A lot of industrial occupations use them, technical occupations use them. But for medical use, there's only a few that are FDA approved on the market that you can buy for medical screening. And what it does is it basically just looks at the heat reflecting off of your body and it picks that up, up to the five one hundredth of a degree down within the breast tissue. So it's very, very minimal changes in temperature that it can pick up. And that radiation that's coming off of your body is what it shows up on the screen. Blood vessels, different scales of heat, depending on the view we want, we can look at it in color or black and white or reverse, or there's a lot of different ways that we can look at the breast, but it shows me a scale. And then there's a hot scale and a cool scale. And then all the temperatures in between will show up in different colors or levels of gray that you'll see depending on the image and the color. And so I always got confused and I've told you this before, but I'm always like, 
okay, what's a better color? I like all the bright colors. Like, they're pretty. Colorful. I want to see yeah. all the color on there. But the colors are the parts that are cooler. And the darker well, the color is warmer. It depends. So typically, like, when I'm taking the image, it'll show up in black and white. And the dark is cool. The white is hot. Okay. So dark you want gold. it to be nice and dark. Ideally, every woman has really nice dark black breasts and black nipples. That's what you want to see. You don't ever want to see white nipples or a lot of white around the nipple area ever. It's not good. And then what about like there's a gradient of color? Like there's yellow and there's red and there's, is that mm -hmm. just the degree of temperature? Is that what yeah. it is? Yeah. So if we change it to a colored image after we've taken the image, we can turn it into color. And then the scale, it's kind of different for every tech, the color scale they want to see because to the doctor, it actually doesn't matter. But it's a cool visual for the patient to be able to see. It, people really love to look at the colored images. So for me, like my cool color is still black. Then it goes to brown and blue, purple, green, and then up all the way to white, which would be hot, hot. And then red would be just below that. So it's a quite a scale. So if you do a thermogram and you see a lot of white showing up or those, you know, hotter colors Red. right mm -hmm. does that make you nervous sometimes yeah if it's symmetrical across the breast and there's a pattern that's kind of mirrors both sides it's typically nothing to worry about it might just be warm breast tissue they might have needed more time to acclimate to the room they have to sit for 10 minutes with no clothes on to get their skin at the same temperature as a room so they might have needed more time typically when the worry comes is when there's one side that's mm red orange yellow and the other side is like purple and blue right right you don't really want to see that yeah or on the black and white you've got a lot of dark on one breast and then it's giving white. you grays and shades of mm -hmm. lighter color on the other breast so the asymmetrical finding so when the report comes back from the doctor mm -hmm. i know there's a grading scale so talk mm -hmm. us through what that grading scale looks like the grades between a th1 and a th5 TH1 is what I was talking about, like nice, dark. Everything's dark and almost black, dark gray. Everybody wants those perfect dark boobs. And then TH2, there might be a little bit of activity. There's probably some estrogen floating around like up in the top here. And then 95% of women fall into a three category. So most women that I see are a three. It's considered normal, I think, because it's more common now. Mm -hmm. But it's not considered, oh, it's not okay. It still comes up as questionable or even abnormal on the report. So you don't really want to be a three, but 95% of women are. And that's are. just. As a side note, do you think that's because of all of the exposure to like the xenoestrogens, you know, all the things mm -hmm. that we are exposed to because the breast tissue is rich in estrogen receptors? Yeah. So do you think that that's part of that? I would think it would be. Yeah, because there's a direct correlation between estrogen dominance in the breast tissue and breast cancer. It's the number one risk factor. And your breasts can have up to 50 times more estrogen in them than the rest of your body. So someone can go get a hormone test and be like, my estrogen's fine. And I'll look at their breasts in their images and I'm like, no, your estrogen is like through the roof because I can see it. It wow. opens up all those blood vessels and feeds whatever's in there. So yeah, no, I think it has a lot to do with our environment, what we're breathing, our food, the plastics that we're eating out of, cooking with. Okay. So then TH3 is normal, not normal, but common. Uh -huh. And uh -huh. then TH4? TH4 is usually like you need to go get screening now. 
like call your doctor today, go get screening. And TH5 is like, run, <laughs> run to the doctor. <laughs> do not walk, do not pass no. go, do not collect $200, just nope. go. Well, since I've been doing this, I might've had maybe three or four TH5s in a year and a half. Mm. In the last three weeks, I've had four more. And I've not seen that many in a cluster, you know, like that, where it seems to be happening more and more. And I think it's things that we can control, but some of it we can't. Yeah, yeah. it's really true. And to, you know, your conversation about environmental exposures, you know, we don't know what's in food. And a lot of women don't realize that body care products and skincare products and, you know, the air meat that they're eating and yeah, air fresheners and laundry soap and all that stuff is all mm -hmm. going to contribute. And those are things that we have you know, to some degree, some control over yeah. what we don't have control over is, you know, if it's yeah. trails or pesticide, right. You know, this stuff that we're breathing, things yeah. that are in the water because we can't not breathe and we can't not drink. Like, you know, at some point we're not going to be able to control every little thing, mm -hmm. but if you get somebody that's got a TH3, they're in that 95%. Like mm -hmm. what are some of the recommendations that you make for them? I always tell people to do breast massage daily describe how does that work is that just like rub 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 like no, there's got to be a pattern no, to it there is a method it takes a minute so i'm happy to show everyone but it well, takes describe a... it because most people are going to be listening not watching okay this, the watching um, is on youtube so okay here describe. so you would open up the lymph nodes in the neck in the abdomen and in the under the armpit on both sides mm. and then you move the fluid essentially from the breast to the armpit out the neck and then back down into the stomach because the stomach so is, is ultimately where you want it all. So this is just fingers on skin in the shower. Yeah. Ideally, you want the skin to stretch. You want to have oh. enough grip. So in the shower is actually not ideal because wet isn't oh. going isn't to oh, allow you to stretch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You kind of want to have a little bit of friction or grip, I guess. Pull on, on the, the skin. skin. Yep. Yeah. Until you reach that end feel where it won't stretch anymore. And then you move a little further, you know, laterally. So where do you start? I start. generally start with like deep breathing. Okay. That gets that lymphatic moving behind the uh -huh. lungs. Yep. It's one yep. of the best things you can do for your lymph system is breathe deep. And then open up right above the clavicle, collarbone. And is that with the stretching motion with your fingers? No, so if that's you're watching just... on video, show us what this looks like. That's just little tiny like circles. I don't know if you can see very good. Yeah, I I'm can see. I'm pushing in. Like that. Okay. And then do the same thing under your arm, except your hand's going to go up here and they'll just kind of like roll in inward. At the upper part of the armpit. So arm mm -hmm. over your head, two fingers up against the superior part of the armpit yes. and just rub in a circle. Yep. yep. Come towards it. You're like waking. Come towards the arm, toward, yes. up, up and around, up and around, up mm -hmm. and around. Okay. Yes. And then I also have a little tutorial that I have put together so i can send that to you too when great. we're done i'll link can... that in the show notes that'd be yeah. great thank you mm -hmm. yeah. so the breast massage how long does this whole process take probably Tim? five minutes five minutes Not so you long. recommend to start breast massage every day this is for every woman yep no matter no matter okay i said breast massage every day deep breathing every day which you should be doing when you're doing your breast massage dry brushing is always really good but if you're doing breast massage it's not as necessary mm -hmm. I recommend that women take something to support their liver because that's essentially where all that estrogen needs to filter out through. So if you're right. moving it out of your breasts, your liver needs to be able to handle it. Right. So supporting your liver and then that supplement from Food Research 
Simply oh yeah, med- the Simply Mammary. Yep, Simply Mammary is good. A lot of women who like that and take it. Mm-hmm. Those are the big ones that I do. Okay. So we want to give like support to the tissue itself and mm-hmm. then get the lymphatic moving out of the breast tissue. And then what do you think about underwire bras? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard pass. Uh, hard yeah. pass. So yeah. there's a book. I'll find it. I'll link it in the show notes, but it's a great book. It talks exactly about what happens when women wear bras mm-hmm. with underwire and how that compresses oh, the lymphatic fluid drainage. And it basically just allows all those toxins to just stay in the breast tissue. Correct. Yeah. 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 If you're not moving it, it's not moving. And then on top of that, you're blocking it from moving if you want it to because right. you're wearing wire. Right, right, right. Yeah. So the option for women would be then to choose a bra that's something that's got a little bit of support. How do you feel about going bra less? Good, bad? I mean, I think it's great. I just don't think a lot of women are comfortable with it. I'm not even comfortable with it. I'm just wearing like my everyday bra is a tank top with a built-in shelf and my boobs. I've had five children and nursed them all. My boobs are long and yeah. sexy. Yeah. But so I'm not going bra less. But and the bras that I'm wearing or what I'm wearing isn't super supportive, but I refuse to do an underwire or anything really that's super constricting because it's doing the same thing around. Yeah. So even bras, you know, have that like built in underneath the breast tissue, but it's tight, like you're looping it in the back. Mm -hmm. You're still compressing the area underneath the bra. So almost like a sports bra type. But a looser sports bra. Some of my favorites, I don't know, Ashley, if you've used these, but some of my favorites are from Soma Mm -hmm. because they're soft. They're not tight. They're very stretchy. But when they're against the body, they're not so tight that it presses against the rib cage enough that it's going to really significantly impair. Like you could easily get two fingers up underneath Underneath. it. It'll move and give, but it still gives good support. There's some padding in there. It still gives good support, but you know, to your point, a woman has in breast surgery, you know, she's augmented the breast tissue mm-hmm. and then, you know, she may not be needing to wear a bra, but then that, because she's had surgery That's to augment you. the shape, but yeah. she's also messed then with the drainage. Oh yeah. Any kind of surgery, tattoos even, because lymph nodes or lymph vessels are superficial. So they're just under the skin and anything like that is going to damage them. And a lot of women that I see end up, cause I'm a lymphedema therapist as well. So a lot of women that I see post-op or even after a tattoo, they got a tattoo and they went out and accidentally got a sunburn and now they have lymphedema in the leg. They got the tattoo on their foot and wow. you know, it's destroyed their leg. So, wow. I mean, that has nothing to do with breasts, but yeah, <laughs> I'm a dermography, yeah. but it speaks to the importance of having a healthy lymphatic system. Right, right. There's a resource that you shared with me, and it's from a document or a, a book. It's chapter 25 of a book called The Biomedical Engineering Handbook. And when you gave it to me, I thought, I am not interested in <laughs> biomedical engineering. However, this whole section talks about thermography. And so I want to read a few of the key points from, they're kind of like the cliff notes from this chapter. So the high points was in 1982, The FDA approved thermography as an adjunctive breast cancer screening procedure, and it's been heavily researched since the 1950s. Now, remember that what is written here is based on the studies, the facts in this article. It's very well referenced. But remember that what you're hearing as far as thermography not being a viable option is from who? The The people who fund the mammogram. 
Exactly. Mm -hmm. So we have to remember that, you know, the bad mammogram, it's not trusted. That's from the people who need to make the money from the mammogram. So Mm -hmm. breast thermography has had extensive research since the 50s, over 30 years of research that have 800 peer-reviewed studies on breast thermography currently exist. And that was as of 2006, by the way. So it's more now. In the database, over 300,000 women have been included as study participants. The population in the studies were large, well over 10,000 participants. Some of the studies followed patients for up to 12 years, and the protocols have been established for over 15 years. And again, this publication was in 2006, so that was you know almost 20 years ago. Breast thermography has an average sensitivity and specificity of 90%. And this one really got me an abnormal thermogram. Okay, abnormal, like 2H3. An abnormal thermogram is 10 times more significant as a future risk indicator for breast cancer than first order family history of the disease. Mm -hmm. But yet that's what the women are often told. Do you have a history of breast cancer in your family? And Ashley, you shared a statistic with me. And what was that that had to do with that familial risk? It's 6 to 8% of all women who are diagnosed with breast cancer have a family history of breast cancer. So it's such a minuscule amount yeah. compared to the, I mean, the number one risk factor is thick, dense breast tissue and estrogen dominance. So yeah, we don't talk about that because right. my friends ever- can't see through it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This says a persistent abnormal thermogram carries with it a 22 times higher risk of future breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So that leads me to think that the TH3 grading that you're talking about, that we really need to work with women to aggressively get them into that TH2. Yep. Because if it's considered borderline abnormal, Mm -hmm. then if this has a 22 high thermography and abnormal result, is 22 times higher risk of future breast cancer, then it would behoove us to say, have you had a thermogram? If so, what is your score? And then you'll know clinically what to start including with them, whether it's this daily massage, breast massage, or mm-hmm. you know, adding in phytoestrogens that can help move out those toxic estrogens, getting the liver to move, et cetera. This says an abnormal infrared thermography image is the single most important marker of high risk for developing breast cancer. And they've shown that breast thermography has the ability to detect the first signs that a cancer may be forming up to 10 years before another procedure can detect it. Now, that's understanding that there's that 10% margin of error Mm -hmm. you said. Yeah. Yeah. Breast thermography significantly augments the long-term survival rates of its recipients by as much as 61%. And when used with other approaches like the 3D ultrasound, 95% of early stage cancers will be detected. So why we're not recommending and really talking about thermography with our patients is Mm -hmm. for every female patient, I believe that this can potentially save their life conversation that Mm -hmm. we need to be having with every single woman. And Ashley, to your point, the women that you see are the ones that are there because they're interested in the alternative Mm -hmm. option. But you a also lot of them are like, get, no way will I ever get a mammogram. Yeah. But then you probably get other women that come in that have no clue. Mm-hmm. And that's I had an a opportunity. woman in my office yesterday who came in to get a thermogram and she actually wanted to do breast, neck, and face because she had some dental work associated with oh, the Oh, interesting. She was diagnosed with breast cancer in April this year. 
had a lumpectomy, declined chemo and radiation because they wanted to do both. Even though they were competent, they got all of it. And it wasn't in her lymph nodes. She had four lymph nodes removed. And so she came in and she was one of the ones that was like, when they found my cancer, they literally said, here's a folder. Here's what you're going to do. We have all of this lined up for you. We know who you're going to see. We know what kind of medication you're going to have. Wow. And she said, I, someone who questions everything, she's like, it didn't set right with me. But I yeah. could 100% see how someone who has no idea, they've just been getting mammograms. They're like, oh, this doctor saved my life with this folder, with all of this stuff in it that I didn't have wow. to think about anything that I had to do. They've got it all laid out for me. And that's, I think, why sometimes it's appealing for the general public feels safe for them to be getting mammograms because they trust their doctor that their doctor is just going to have it all figured out right. and plan and, and I don't have to make any decisions about my health. And you mentioned, too, that the other thing that kind of flagged for me and then we'll wrap with this. And that is that you said she wanted her face, her throat and mm-hmm. her face because she had dental work done. Yeah. I recently watched a documentary and I think, did you watch it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And what was the number in there? It was like 98 or 6%. I've oh started asking every patient, have you ever had a root canal? And there's two teeth on the top on both sides. And usually the answer is yes. Yes. 98% of women that have breast cancer have had a root canal in those two teeth. One of those on two the, teeth on the, on the same, same side. side. Mm-hmm. So you did the thermogram for her dental work and yep. did anything show? Yeah, she had an inflammation on the top of face. Same side. Same side. See, there you go. Mm-hmm. So when you refer out for a thermogram and it's a for breast for a woman, mm-hmm. ask them to do it for the mouth as well to mm-hmm. see if you can detect it. So you can't always, you ask the patient, do you have any issues going on in your mouth? No, fine. I'm good. Brush every day. I'm fine. Oh, that there's no infection mm-hmm. in there. Like we don't know because don't know. it could be in the bone. It could be deep in the tooth. It could be that, you know, lingering infection from a root canal that's just still Mm -hmm. all harboring up in there. But that statistic really turned me on my ear a little bit. Yeah. For every woman that's had breast cancer. And it might be interesting just to even go back and start, you know, thinking back through your existing patients that you know of that had breast cancer. How many of them had a root canal? I would be fascinated to know. Mm-hmm. Well, and as I'm talking to more people about that documentary, they're like, oh, I have Crohn's disease and I have eight root canals and yeah. oh, look, they're all connected to the certain, to the it's just big, crazy to me how connected exactly. it is. Exactly. I will get that documentary and I will also link that in the show notes for you as well. So Ashley, thank you so much for coming on. I knew that you would be able to shed way more light on this since this is your jam, not mine. <laughs> so I really, of course, love you to death. Since she's my number two, but self-proclaimed number one child. Yes, she says. But thank you so much. I think this is helpful for everyone listening. So thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Yes, thank you for having me. How can people learn more about the work that you do? Where can they find you? Oh, my website, arukawell.com. It's A-R-U-K-A-H well.com. Okay. And are you on social? We are on social at Aruka Well for both Facebook and Instagram. Nice. All right. We will link that in the show notes as well. And by the way, as a mom, she does great on her social media, just so you know. Like (laughs) she does a really good job. So I like want to be like you when I grow up. She does a really good job on her social media. So you should check her out. We'll put all the links in the show notes, the documentary. Ashley's also provided some images and I will link those pretty color images as well as did you send black and whites as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. 
So we'll link those in the show notes as well. So be sure whether you're watching or listening that you go to the show notes for this particular episode where we're talking about mammography and why thermography is a much better option. All right. Thank you, Ashley. Appreciate you. you. Well, that was quite informational, was it not? So there was so many things that I promised you and she promised you. So I'm going to have to go back and listen to that episode again to make sure that I get all of those resources, especially that book. I couldn't remember the title, but I'll find it. I will get it to you and they will all be linked up in the show notes. So if you are driving, you're, you know, mussing around, you're listening to this podcast while you're out doing something else, I will give you the podcast number. So if you go to rondanelson.com forward slash 180, forward slash 180, just remember 180. That's the only number you have to remember. If you just type that into your browser, it will take you right to the show notes page where you can find all of these resources. And if you love this kind of information and you like more of this kind of information or to learn about how to apply clinical things in your practice in a very simplified, easy, and very excellent way, I invite you to join me inside Clinical Academy. It's my monthly membership that is just for wellness practitioners who love using food-based or whole food-based or you know quality herbal and nutritional supplements that are not full of the synthetics that the supplement industry loves to use. So that's my jam. Those are my people. And if that is you and you're looking for a clinical mentor, that would be me. I'm happy to help you. All you have to do is go to rondanelson.com forward slash clinical academy. I would love to have you. Let me tell you, there is no strings, no nothing. You can sign up, join, you can stay forever, which most of my doctors do, or you can jump out if it's not your cup of tea, but I'd love for you to check it out. See if it meets your needs. There's a lot of clinical training in there, lots of resources, and most importantly, a ton of protocols. That's cool. We always are looking for those protocols. So all you have to do is go to rondanelson.com forward slash clinical academy. Thanks, friend. I'll see you back next week on another episode of The Clinical Entrepreneur.